story is told of uh, two friends who uh, went out to play golf one day, and just as they were about to tee off, the one fellow looked at the other and, and noticed he only had one golf ball. And he said, uh, you don't plan on golfing today with one ball, do you? And the guy said, yeah, that's all I need. He said, only you need one ball. He goes, what if you lose? He goes, I'll never lose this ball. It's a special ball. He goes, the special ball, what if you hit this ball in the water? You hit it in the lake, you're going to lose it. And he goes, no, I won't lose it. It'll float to the top and it'll come right back to me. I won't lose it. He goes, well, wait a minute. What if you hit this thing in the, in the woods, in, in the trees, in, in the bushes? I mean, he goes, this thing has a homing beacon in it. I'll hear it beep, 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 beep. I'll go right to it and I'll get it. He goes, you're going to tell me that you're not going to lose this ball. He said, absolutely not. I won't lose this ball. He said, what if it's late, you know, and, and it goes a little bit longer and the sun starts to go down and it gets dark and you hit the ball in the sand trap and you're not going to be able to see it. He says, this thing lights up in the dark. He goes, man, that's an amazing golf ball. He goes, that's great to know. He goes, hey, let me ask you something. Where, where'd you get a ball like that? He goes, you're not going to believe this. I found it. <laughs> there you go. Some of you get it. Some of you don't. You know, talk about one more example of missing the obvious. As we resume our study through uh, the, uh, the study of Luke's eyewitness account of the life of Jesus, we come to another passage where the religious leaders displayed their ignorance of the obvious. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to uh, Luke 9, uh, chapter uh, 20. We're going to go through verses 1 through 19 where Jesus clearly identifies himself as the chief cornerstone upon which all of God's plan for the salvation of mankind rests. And... Uh, Starting with uh, verse 1 in chapter 20 of the Gospel of Luke, we read these words. And it came about on one of the days while he was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel that the chief priests and the scribes and the elders confronted him and they spoke saying to him, tell us by what authority you are doing these things or who is the one who gave you this authority? And he answered and said to them, I shall ask you a question and you tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us to death, for they're convinced that John was a prophet. And so they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to tell them a parable. A man planted a vineyard and rented out to vine growers and went on a journey for a long time. And at the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers in order that they might give him some of the produce of the vineyard. But the vine growers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he proceeded to send another slave, and they beat him also and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he proceeded to send a third, and this one was also wounded and cast out. And the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the vine growers saw him, they reasoned with one another, saying, This is the heir. Let us kill him, that the inheritance might be ours. And they drew him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then, therefore, will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. And when they heard this, they said, May it never be. But he looked at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. And everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. And the scribes and the chief priests tried to lay hands on him that very hour 
And they feared the people, for they understood that he spoke this parable against them. You know, Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem that we saw was grounded upon two landmark displays of his authority. If you remember, the first one was he came in with this triumphal entry upon the colt of a donkey. He sat upon this colt, and as he went into town and rode into town, the people all shouted out, Blessed is he, the king, who comes in the name of the Lord. And they cried out loudly before them. And the second thing is when he got into the city, the next day he went in and he cleansed the temple. And he said that you have, you have you know, made my house into a den of thieves. And he overturned the tables of the money changers. And as you might well imagine, you know, these bold assertions by Jesus wouldn't go unchallenged by the religious leaders of his day. And so they came together and basically what they were saying, you know, we would say in our vernacular today, is like, you know what, who do you think you are? I mean, who do you think you are riding in like you did? Who do you think you are accepting the adulation of the crowds and the multitudes? Who do you think you are that you would accept the praise and, and glory that is only uh, worthy of the true Messiah? Who do you think you are that you went into the temple and overturned the money changers and said, this is my house? I mean, who, who exactly do you think you are? And that really was the, 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 the crux of the question or the matter that was before them. And this is what they're, you know, the idea of Jesus' authority wasn't a new problem to them. Because if you recall, even from our study in the Gospel of Luke, there were many times where Jesus, when he preached and proclaimed truth and preached the Gospel, that the people were amazed. Literally, they were amazed because they had never heard one preach with such authority. Because most of the time the teachers or preachers would, uh, the rabbis of the day would quote other sources. You remember when Rabbi so-and-so said this or Rabbi so-and-so said that. And they would quote them as being the authority behind the words in which they offer. Today our authority comes from the word of God. And some of you may be sitting there thinking, who do you think you are to say these things? And, and I can say with full, full confidence and assurance and boldness that, you know what, it's not about me, it's about the message. And the message that I deliver comes from the Bible, which is, we believe, to be the inspired written word of God. And so as I share confidently and boldly, it's like, you know, I don't think I'm anybody. But I know that this message is the authoritative word of God and is trustworthy and reliable. And so when I preach the word, I preach with confidence and boldness because I know that it's all about God's message to all of us, including myself. Well, they would go on and they would quote other people, and Jesus didn't do that. After the Sermon on the Mount, they were all amazed at his preaching, and they said, man, we have never heard anybody teach like this. He teaches with authority. It's as if to say what I say and I tell you is, you know, divine truth. You know, that's it. There's no debate. There's nothing really to discuss. It's not up for negotiation. It's not up for discussion. This is truth. Deal with it. And so this is what they did. They put their heads together and like, you know, what are we going to do? And it's the authority of Jesus that becomes the focal point of our passage. And from the text, we're going to examine three things. If you've got the outline and you want to follow along, it's always a good way to know how long I'm going to take. And, uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes not, not even close, but at least it gives you, you know, a false sense of assurance or confidence. But uh, when we look at this, there's three things. The first thing that I want to point out to you is that the, his authority is requested. And that is, that goes to the question that I just said, the first couple of verses. When they got together, they said, tell us by what authority you're doing these things, or who is the one who gave you this authority? You know, who do you think you are? What do you think you're saying? And why should we listen to you? And the reason that's pointed out is, notice here, says that while he was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel... 
the way that these words are written to us indicates that it is a continual habit on his part. It was a continual habit of Jesus as he went into the temple to what? To teach truth and to preach the gospel. This is what Jesus did. He, pro, he preached truth. He proclaimed the gospel everywhere that he went. That's what he did. And see, that's what the apostle Paul had in mind as he exhorted Timothy. And if you want to jump to that in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he had the same idea in mind, and that is that we should always preach the word, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. It says, we're to preach the word. He says, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when the people, they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. You know, as I read that and I thought about the fact that, you know, Jesus preached truth and proclaimed the gospel. That's what he did. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's the theme of, of Luke's gospel, Luke 19.10. And so there was a consistency in Jesus' life that is uh, something that you and I can learn much from. And that is he was consistent in his manner of, of living. He was consistent in his manner of speaking. Everywhere that he went, he taught truth. Everywhere that he went, he, pro, he proclaimed the gospel. And the gospel is that men, God desires men, all men everywhere, to what? To repent, to turn from sin and to turn to God. To recognize our guilt before God, that none of us are righteous, none, not, no, not one. None of us are perfect. We've all gone astray. We're all in a rebellion. We've come into the word, world. We're, we're just in rebellion against God. And everywhere that Jesus won, he consistently preached the message of repentance and the good news of redemption that's found in trusting in Christ, his death on the cross, the power of his resurrection. And so as we look at this, you know, Timothy followed up when, when he was, I mean, Paul followed up as he was instructing Timothy, and he said, you know what, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. You know, Peter went on to say, hey, you know what, we're always to be prepared or ready to give an answer or defense for the hope that is within us. To have a reasonable faith, to know why we believe in whom we believe and why we believe in him. To know why we believe, you know, in Christians, we go around and we quote, the Bible says this, the Bible says that. But, you know, here's the problem that we have in our culture, and that is that people don't recognize the Bible as we do, that it is the Word of God in written language. People don't recognize its authority. People don't recognize its reliability and its trustworthiness and its truthfulness. People don't recognize it, and they think it's just one more thing that we can have an opinion about. But what we have to be prepared to do as Christians is to explain why we believe in the authority of the Bible. We have to explain why we quote the Bible. We have to explain why we believe that the Bible is the written word of God to instruct others with great patience but also with instruction, to dialogue with people in a way that isn't abusive or confrontational or, or destructive in nature, but to plant thoughts that leave them walking away with their heads spinning. And I'll give you an illustration of this in a minute. But we have got to know what we believe and why we believe it. And too many of us are ignorant of these things. 
And the purpose of the church is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. One of the reasons that we're so sold on Bible study is because until you know what the Bible says, we will be ineffective to go out and share that with others. You cannot be lazy. And like what was mentioned this morning, you know, if your Bible is in the lost and found and, and you don't know that it's missing, what does that say to you? Don't miss the obvious. If you went to the golf course and you didn't have your golf clubs with you and you went, oh, they're not in the trunk, you might look for them. And so we need to be, you know, a little bit more alert to the fact that, you know what, the, the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit and we need to recognize the truthfulness of it so that we can articulate that truth before others. But he also goes on and he says, you know what, fulfill your ministry. And that was, it, it struck me, it's like, you know what, what, what is your ministry? What is my ministry? If we're to fulfill our ministry, we really need to know what it is that God has called us to do. He's called us to proclaim the excellencies of Him who have called us from darkness to light. That's one that's a ministry for all of us. He's called us to be witnesses, to testify before the world of what He has done in our life through faith in Christ. Every one of us are, are called to do that. Now, some have been given specific gifts uh, as they relate. All, all God's people have been given specific gifts, but those gifts vary. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Again, if you had a Bible and you were reading it, you'd go, wow, you know what? God's given me a gift. What well, is that gift? And how can I use that gift in His service and for His glory? And we need to recognize that every one of us who have repented of sin and trusted in Christ have been gifted by the Holy Spirit of God with a gift to serve God and also to build up the body of believers. You've got to find your niche and then don't be sidetracked, but fulfill your ministry. Be committed. That's what he told Timothy. That's what God's word tells all believers. And so as we look at this, we begin to realize, he says, you know what? Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. You know, as they were doing the exit polls in this particular, this past election, uh, it was interesting to those who found this to be absolutely stunning. But the number one issue in this past campaign, this past election, was moral values. And it threw everybody through a loop. You know, all the experts, and in the wisdom of, you know, the wisdom of man is foolishness to God. And in, the, and in their own wisdom, they became foolish before God. And that is that, you know, people care about absolute values. They care about things that are right. They care about things that are wrong. And it was evidenced by this particular election. The most important thing was values. Now, we all get excited, those of us who promote values, because we too believe that they're very important, but then we all let our guards down because it's like, oh, people care about values, and we think that, you know, that battle is over. Listen, that is a timeless battle that continues on and on and on, and you don't let your guard down because an election was won or lost or whatever, because evil is relentless, God's people have to be equally relentless. That's why everything in the Bible says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing your toil is not in vain be on the alert stay on the alert your adversary the devil is looking to destroy and devour him who basically falls asleep at the wheel we are always and constantly to be on the alert yea we praise god for victories along the way but we realize that you know what we have a battle that will continue until the day jesus returns and establishes the only true form of government that works and that is a theocracy everything else has been second best 
You know, it was man who said, I'd rather have a king than follow God. And from then on, it's been a problem ever since. But when Jesus returns and establishes his government, guess what? His kingdom will come and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But until then, we have to stay the course. And so as we look at this, we begin to realize those of us who have trusted in Christ, we live in a wonderful age of opportunity. We have been granted the knowledge of the mysteries of God to proclaim to the world, this is an exciting time to be alive for God's sake. Now, this past week, to give you an illustration of what I was just talking about, I was invited to speak at a local city's annual mayor's prayer breakfast. And I always love those opportunities whenever they come by. And, and, uh, and I'm very clear about, well, I will come if I'm allowed to say this. And they'll either say, yes, you can, or no, thanks, that's not what we're looking for. And so when I go, I speak about what Jesus Christ has done in my life personally. And I share that story. And so when they ask, I said, this is what I'm going to come and talk about. Is that okay? And it either is or isn't. And if they say, yes, it is, then I go with great authority, knowing the people that ask me to come to speak have approved what I'm going to say. If they say no, then I say, I'm not, your right, I'm not the right person. You can find somebody else to give them whatever you want to give them. So I'm sitting there, and I'm waiting to get up to speak. And right before I get up, a guy gets up, and he begins to share you know, the, the obligatory prayer, which is the prayer that you know, basically is the politically correct prayer. So you're, put yourself in my position. I'm sitting there waiting to be able to go up to speak. And the guy gets up and he says, Oh God, the God of everybody. It doesn't matter what we believe as long as we're seeking and searching and you know, we're sincere about what we do. Jews and Gentiles and, you know, and, and the Muslims. And, and, and he went down through and I think he covered everybody. I don't know. There probably was someone out there he missed. But then he goes, And now here's our speaker. So, and I'm thinking about this because I pretty much had already, you know, had my notes and outline done for this week's sermon, and, and I'm thinking, be ready, preach the word, in season and out of season. And I'm thinking, this is about as out of season as you're going to get right here. At the, you know, and so I just get up. So, you know, and then it says, with great patience and instruction. So, hey, this is what's, and I start to share. And this is what Jesus Christ has done in my life. And it was the first time in many opportunities to do this, I, I, I sensed that, that the, the, the Spirit of God wanted me to share what I shared. And I was like, well, you know what? And I realized, and it's not hard to realize this, and I realize this every time I speak anywhere as I look out and see faces. I realize that some of you might disagree with what I have to say, that Jesus is the only way to heaven that there is no other name or authority given to men under heaven by which men can be saved from the penalty of sin. So then I realize you may disagree, but I said, you know what the wonderful thing about our country is, and this past election demonstrates it, is that, you know, we have the freedom to voice our beliefs. And you may be here today and disagree with me, but it's my turn to share with you <laughs> what I believe, and I believe... It's all about Jesus. And so it was a wonderful time. And, you know, what can you say after that? It's like, well, um, yeah, well, yeah, we believe in the freedom of speech, but we just don't believe that you should have it. (laughs) (laughs) And and so, you know, it's, it's my time to tell you about sin. It's my time to tell you about repentance. 
It's my time to tell you about Jesus Christ and Him crucified and resurrected. And it's my time to tell you that when I repented of sin and trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sin, my life has never been the same and it hasn't worn off. And that was February 16th, 1978. And I'm still standing here telling people about Jesus today. And so, thank you for having me. (laughs) So, I get finished and you could hear a pin drop in the room. Which is always, a, you know, I always start, and I think all the times in the scripture where they picked up rocks to stone the speaker. <laughs> I'm looking for plates and forks and stuff. But I went back to the table and I'm sitting next to the mayor, which is always a fascinating thing to be able to do. And he looked at me and he said, I've never heard anything like that. <laughs> I said, well, hey. And I said... Thank you for inviting me so I could share that with you. And he just walked away and it was like. <laughs> and, 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 and what happened? And, and, but, but see, that's what I'm talking about. We're not to go into the world and be antagonistic. We're to go into the world and be strategic. We're to go into the world knowing what we believe and in whom we believe and why we believe Him and why we believe the Word of God and to challenge people to think about things that, you know what, they say and they don't even know why. You know why most people believe what they believe? Because they hear it on TV or they hear a teacher say it or they hear somebody else in authority say it and they've never checked into it themselves. And we have got to challenge people to think again. And when people think again and we present the word of God to them, then I'm convinced that the other morning it was worth getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning and fighting traffic to get where I was because I am convinced of this, that God promises that when his word goes out, it never returns empty or void and always accomplishes the purpose for which God sent it forth. Seed was sown. And sometimes the seed is sown, and you know me, I just throw the 50-pound sack. You know, I don't, I don't do a little sprinkling stuff. I'm just like, here's here, Booyah! catch that. But that's all right. You know, every one of us are different. And so, you know, when we look at this, the, 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 when, when we see what's going on here, we're to be ready. We're to preach the gospel because God's word tells us that people are going to want to hear what they want to hear and they will accumulate for themselves teachers who will tell them whatever it is they want to hear. And we see that in our culture. Think about it. It's like, you know what? What do you want to hear? I mean, isn't that what elections are all about? What do you want to hear? And I'll tell you what you want to hear so that you elect me. And then I'll do whatever it is that I want to do. And that's why we have to always examine a person's record or their evidence of their actions because their words only mean something if it is parallel to what they do. And see, and from God's standpoint, it's the same. We're going to use words that God will use to reach people, but our life has got to be consistent with the words that we preach. Jesus preached truth and proclaimed the gospel, as was his continual habit, and people recognized consistency. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing as God's people to be found guilty of living a consistent life? Christian, godly lifestyle. So, the reason that they were asking is it because he was preaching truth. He was proclaiming the gospel. They were asking him, okay, well, wait a minute. Who do you think you are? Now, the reliability of his authority that we see in verse 2 was kind of like, you know what? Tell us by what authority are you doing these things and who is the one who gave you this authority? What were the things? It's all the things I was talking about. Teaching truth with authority. Proclaiming the gospel. 
riding into town on a cult, claiming to be the Messiah, flipping up tables in the, in the, in the uh, temple, saying that this is my house. I mean, wh- wh- what are you doing? Is, is your word reliable to us? Can we trust you? Are you really who you're claiming to be? Today, like I said, we'd say, what gives you the right to do such things? Now, under normal circumstances, you know, this isn't an unreasonable question. After all, authority is important for the success of any, you know, social, political, religious organization. You know, without authority, uh, you'd have confusion and chaos. I'm like, you know, what do you, who do you think? Can you imagine in a home? You know, mom and dad, you wake up, it's 3 o'clock in the morning and, you know, and, and a couple of your kids are up and they're playing Nintendo and they're, you know, they're eating, you know, they're eating food and they're having candy and they got a bunch of friends over. It's like, what, what, what do you think you're doing? Said, That's cool, mom, dad, it's all right. You know, my brother said it was, it was okay. He gave me the authority to do it. What? What? It's like, what, are you crazy? Can you imagine going to a classroom, you're a teacher, you walk in, there's nobody there, a couple of people go, where'd everybody go? Oh, you know what, Johnny gave everybody the day off today said you've been working hard. You can go ahead and take the day off today. It's like, what? Who do you think you are? You know, authority is important, and there is, a, there is a valid question. But the problem in their life was they weren't looking for truth. They were trying to find a reason to discredit Jesus because they had already made up their mind that they didn't want to buy into the fact that he could be the Savior. They didn't want to know if he was the Savior. And so, you know, there's a problem. The problem was they weren't interested in pursuing truth. Their mind was already made up. And they were once again trying to get them to say something incriminating to justify their intended actions. And that's why they said, you know, well, who do you think you are? And they, they were going on and trying to figure out a way to catch him. They were probably thinking, you know, we finally got him. Now think about this. What gives you the authority to do what you're doing? And they thought, ha-ha! We finally have got the question that's going to get them. They're probably thinking, now we've got them. We've laid the perfect trap. Problem, though, is look at verses 3 and 4. Jesus answered and said, oh, I'll ask you a question and you tell me. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? And basically, he said, I'll answer you if first you answer me. Now, think about these guys. They're pretty heady guys. And they were probably thinking, hey, you know what? Bring it on. They all got together and thought, all of us against him? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Go ahead, bring it on. And, and you know what? I could just see it now. I could, I could hear it. The theme of Jeopardy was playing in the background. Oh, what gives you the authority? And it's like, okay. And they, and they ask him the question. And then they were just kind of going, well, wait a minute. Look at their reasoning. Well, wait a minute. They, re- they reasoned among themselves. If we say from heaven, he'll say, why didn't you believe him? But if we say for men, all the people are going to stone us because they're convinced John was a prophet. Rut-row. <laughs> we, we got a problem. It's like, well, wait a minute. And the reason that Jesus pointed them back to John the Baptist was because John the Baptist introduced Jesus to the nation. There's one that's coming after me. He existed before me. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal. And he, said, and he said, John the Baptist, all the people that were there, they saw Jesus coming. John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here's the Savior. He must increase and I must decrease. That's why he took him back to John the Baptist. And that's why, I said, and that's why they said, Well, wait a minute. If we say from heaven... And they're going to say, he's going to say, why didn't you believe him? 
Didn't John point to me as the Savior of the world? Why don't you believe him? Oh. Well, if we say he's from men and that he didn't really have any authority to say that he was from heaven, that he is the Son of God, that he is the Savior of the world, if we say that, these people are going to stone us because they were convinced that John was a prophet of God. And look at their response. We don't know. (laughs) Duh. You don't know. And from this, you know, we have got to guard, from this I learned that we've got to, we, we have to guard ourselves against coming to conclusions without examining the evidence. So many times we are guilty of believing or holding a position without really even knowing why. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you, you see people that argue adamantly with you about certain things but they don't even know why. See, they, they had taken the position that Jesus is not the Savior and they didn't care what the evidence was because they had already made up their mind. They had become so stubborn, stubborn and, and dug in in their beliefs that it didn't matter what the evidence was, we don't want to know. We've already made up our mind. And it's a very dangerous place to be in life. You know, on this cancer coaster ride that I've been on, I'll give you a great example. You know, I've shared with you enough, that there are so many things that I have had to go through, and I say had to go through because I don't want to do it. I don't like the stuff that, I don't like blood work. I don't like CT scans. I don't like MRIs. (laughs) Surgery isn't my favorite thing to do in my free time. And the treatments on Tuesday, that's not a lot of fun either. There's just a whole bunch of things that haven't been a lot of fun. But the safety and a multitude of counsel and the evidence that's laid out indicate that though I don't want to do these things, if I want to try to have a chance to beat this disease, this is what I have to do. So guess what? That's what you do. See, you may not like to hear that there's no other way to heaven but through Jesus. You may not like to hear that the Bible is the authoritative word of God. Final say in all matters of uh, of human nature as well as divine revelation. You may not want to hear that. Then you tell me why I shouldn't believe it because I'll tell you why I do. You may have made up your mind, but why? And then we'll share why we have with great patience and instruction. Don't be guilty of making up your mind without examining the evidence. That's what these men did. And I'll tell you right here and now, based on the authority of God's word, it led to their ultimate condemnation and damnation before God. So, Jesus says, verse 8, then neither will I tell you. And there is no worse place to be in all of the universe than to be where God has nothing left to say to you. That's a terrible place to be. If you were ever a child who maybe done some things that you shouldn't have done and you had your parents in a state of exasperation where they said, you know what, I have nothing left to say. Then you can relate. 
these grown men, Jesus had nothing more to say to them because they weren't willing to listen to anything he had to say. But you know what's wonderful? He didn't stop. He continued to try to reach them. You say, well, why didn't he have anything else to say to them? Well, consider this. They refused to consider the objective evidence and all the signs that revealed Jesus as Savior. They refused to consider what John the Baptist had said when he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They refused to, to look and search the Word of God and be open to what the Bible had to say about the one who was promised to come. They never looked at the Scriptures when he rode into town and they sang a messianic psalm in, in Psalm 118 through 122. They didn't look to see what those psalms had to say. They weren't interested in any of the evidence. Uh, they refused to search the Scripture. They were dishonest in both their aunt's question and their answer when they said, We don't know. They did know. They were liars and they were cowards. And if they truly believed that Jesus was a fraud, they had a responsibility to reveal this to the people and protect them from another false prophet. They opposed him only from self-centered reasons. And we've got to be careful not to be guilty of the same faulty thinking before God. We are either seeking truth or an excuse for what we've already decided to believe. It's one or the other. And it's never smart... Another lesson, it's never smart to go one-on-one with God or 10-on-one or 20-on-one or 50-on-one or 53-million-on-one, whatever the, you know, it's just never smart to go one-on-one with God because you know what? He's God and we're not. Write that down. (laughs) So he rolls into a parable And he ties it all together. And the parable ties into the the lesson that we just see. So we see this. The result is that, you know, he was silent before them to that degree. But then he tells a parable. And his authority is revealed in this parable. And I'll go through this quickly. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey for a long way. So he talks about the planting of a vineyard. And the vineyard represented Israel. And and they knew that and they understood that because in the temple where they were, there was vineyards that were all over the place. There were vines and there were gold-laden vines and there was jewels that represented the grapes and the clusters of grapes. And if you read Isaiah, uh, specifically chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, there's a word picture that God uses that Israel is his vineyard. And so they were watching and they were listening to this and they were looking behind them. They saw the group, the grapevines and they saw the clusters of grapes and they saw the jewels and they saw the gold and they saw all of this. And he began to tell a parable about and he planted a vineyard. And they all understood that it was a nation and they all understood what he was saying. A word picture to help him understand it. And it says, and he was gone for a long time. It says, and at harvest time he sent a slave or a servant to the vine growers in order that they might give him some of the produce of the vineyard, but the vine growers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he proceeded to send another, and they beat him and treated him shamefully, and he went away empty-handed. And he proceeded to send a third, and this one they wounded and cast out. And so he was saying is, you know what? God was the one who planted the vineyard, and the vineyard is a nation of Israel. And God sent back, after he was gone a long time, he sent messengers, and the messengers were the prophets. And the prophets came and preached repentance. And the prophets came and declared the truth of God's word and every one of the prophets that came told people what they needed to do and the people didn't want to hear it and guess what they did to the messenger they beat the messenger you know because if you don't like the message beat the messenger you know and that's how it always is you know you may not like what somebody says so you have to find a way to discredit the person instead of the message himself so we take it and we see it all the time in politics where somebody declares a message and they say well you know what and how about you you got drunk in 1947 
Well, okay, I might have, but what's it have to do with the message, what I just said? Well, it doesn't matter. We're trying to figure out a way because we have no response about the message, so we're going to discredit the messenger, therefore the message is now no good. And that's what they did. They just beat up all the prophets that came and said, go away, and they beat them all up. And so finally, the vineyard uh, owner or God says, you know what, what am I going to do to reach these people? I know what I'll do. I will send my beloved son. And it's no coincidence that Jesus used those words because if you remember at the baptism before John the Baptist, the heavens opened up and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So they're taking, he's taking them back to John the Baptist again and his declaration that Jesus is the Savior. He's taking them back to John the Baptist again and the voice from heaven, God the Father, who said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And the Spirit of God descended upon him in the form of a dove. And we have the triunity of God, God the Father claiming Jesus as his Son, Jesus standing before the Father and the Spirit of God testifying, or testi- uh, testifying and attesting to the fact that Jesus is the Savior of the world. So he takes them back to them and, and he says, I will send my son. Surely they will respect my son. Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11, look at verses 1 through 3. Or Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 when you get a chance. Uh, when you see that, you know, and in the last days God spoke through son. And that's the, the exact wording. Through son. The heir of all things. He spoke through Jesus. That's why it's important what we believe about Jesus because it's all about Jesus. Not all roads lead to heaven. Not all belief systems are right. The God of the Bible, I was talking to a guy when I was getting my uh, cancer treatment on Tuesday and he said, I've come to the conclusion and we're sitting in the lobby. He said, I've come to the conclusion there's only one God. I said, well, that's good. How did you come to that conclusion? He said, because it doesn't make any sense that there's a whole bunch of different gods. I mean, just logically think about this. Okay, what God made people? What God made the universe? What God made what? He goes, that doesn't make any sense. There's not like a committee of gods. Here's only one God. I said, well, if there's only one God, then you would think that he would identify himself clearly so we would know who that one God is. And that's where the Bible comes in. If I know why I believe the Bible, I say, you know, God has clearly identified himself to me as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He has identified himself to me as the Father of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father, for I am the Father and one. You can't believe in God and deny the deity of Jesus Christ. You can't believe in God and say that Jesus isn't God, because he said that he is God. And the Spirit of God, again, where Ananias and Sapphira were lying before God, and God said, why have you lied before God? And, and you have lied to the Holy Spirit. And the Bible clearly teaches the Holy Spirit is God. And, and, and you know what? There's only one God manifested in three persons. That's what the Bible teaches very clearly you can't believe in God and deny Jesus it's impossible that's why when I share about Jesus it becomes critical because you know what outside of Jesus there's no other way to get right with God period but if you know what you believe and again that guy he walked away scratching his head going hey maybe there's something to that that makes sense it's reasonable and we have a reasonable faith folks it's not based on emotions and feelings Emotions and feelings may be part of it, but that's not what it's based on. It's based on a reasonable faith to give an answer or a defense for the hope that is within us. It's all about Jesus. And so he said, I'll send my beloved son in verse 13. Perhaps they will respect him and there's a big but. The big but is no, they didn't. When the vine growers, these are the, the, those who are the leaders in Israel, saw him, they reasoned with one another saying, this is the heir. Let us kill him. 
that the inheritance may be ours. Here's what they were thinking. We haven't seen the vine grower. We haven't seen the father. He sent messengers. We beat them up. They haven't come back anymore. So now that the son is here, if we kill the son, then it's all ours. Because in that culture, that's what happened. You, you could claim land if the owner was absent and didn't make a claim on it. And then the son that came, the son was the heir of all things. They knew that if the father was absent and the son came and we could kill the son, then we got rid of both the father because he hasn't been around and the son is now gone. So it's all ours. And the leaders of Israel are thinking, you know what? If we could shut up the son, then we could have all of this ourselves. They were in love with themselves. They were in love with their power. They were in love with their authority. They were loving that with in their position to be able to tell other people what to do when they felt like telling them what to do. They were not in love with God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Otherwise, they would have embraced the Son who represent the Father. But they killed Him too. And Jesus was prophesying to them that He was about to to be delivered up, as he always said, to the chief priests, scribes, and the elders. They are going to kill me. And they threw him out and killed him outside the city in a place called Golgotha on a cross. They threw him outside the city and they killed him on a cross. And he said, what will he do? What will we do? He will come and destroy these vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. And when they heard this, they said, may that never be. Uh Uh-uh, that ain't happening. But I want you to notice this. You think about the patience of God. Messenger after messenger after messenger. And then he sent his son. And the Bible says that Jesus is the last word to humanity concerning what God's plan is for redemption. There's nothing else. That's why Jesus said to the guy who was in Hades, look, you know what, someone can come back from the dead and tell people that this is true and they won't believe a thing that he said because they haven't believed the word of God. Why would they believe you? See, Jesus is the final message to mankind. Repent And believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That's it. There's no other way. Period. And for those who don't repent and don't believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to notice that he said that he will come and he will destroy them. And he will give the vineyard to others. We see this in 70 A.D., when the temple was destroyed by the Romans and the Jews were scattered all over the place, the diaspora where they were spread all over the place. We see this in the book of Acts where God's kingdom was turned over in leadership to the Gentiles who went out and preached repentance and trust in Jesus Christ. And what's amazing to me is how patient God is with us. I think about this in this last election and the crossroads that we are as a, as a society And how God could easily judge or easily continue to extend his mercy and his grace. But we never presume upon that collectively as a nation nor individually as people. I think about some of us that are here today and realize that, you know what? 
we're not doing what's right before God. And God continues to be gracious with us. He continues to reveal truth to us. He continues to convict us of sin in our life. He continues to say, repent and turn from sin and turn to me and, 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 you know, and confess and agree with me what you're doing is wrong and I'll forgive you and cleanse you from that. And yet we still hold on, kind of like the, the leaders did. We still hold on in these areas. But you know what, though? I'm doing better in all these other areas, but this is just that one area that I'm hanging on to. And God says, you know what? Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. You know what? I mean, payday one day. And he said, if you continue to ignore the warning of God and you continue to be steadfast and entrenched in, in, in your sin, then you know what? I'll destroy you. I'll break you. I'll bust you up. And he does. For God's people, it's discipline. For those who haven't trusted in Christ, it's eternal condemnation because we're already condemned when we come into the world. It's just an act of the final sentencing being done. And so we know that all this took place. And what's amazing to me is that God is still gracious to each one of us. Martin Luther said, you know, if the world had treated me as it treated God, I would kick the wretched thing to pieces. I went, wow, isn't that true? Spurgeon said, if you reject him, he answers with tears. If you wound him, he bleeds out cleansing. If you kill him, he dies to redeem you. If you bury him, he rises again to bring resurrection. Jesus is love made manifest. And we live in a wonderful window of opportunity of God's grace. For those who cry out their need for forgiveness, he says, I'll hear your prayer and I'll forgive you and I'll heal you. For those who stay trenched in and say, you know what? No. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men because we know that God's judgment is true. So, you know, it, it breaks my heart when I think about God judging sin. I think about the reality of hell. I think about the reality of, of suffering eternally in a place that is unnecessary for you to suffer because Jesus paid the price so you wouldn't have to. And see, it bothers me, and I'll tell you who it bothers it bothers God's people more than it bothers those who don't know God because you know why? Because we believe what God says is true and they don't. So when we talk about hell and we talk about punishment, we talk about judgment, it really troubles our soul because we know God's word to be true. But the people who hear it, they laugh and they mock and they joke and it's like, yeah, well, whatever. If hell exists, I'll go and I'll party with all my friends, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it breaks our heart to hear it because we know how foolish that statement is. And so Jesus, in his love, continued to look upon these men. And notice in verse 17, as we put it together, he says, he looked at them and said, and the word looked at them is he gazed at them intently. It was as he was looking into their soul. And he said one last time, in patience and with instruction. And he said to them, this is what is written. You hold highly the word of God, then this is what God's word says. The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. Who was rejected? Jesus. Who was all salvation built upon? Jesus Christ. And him crucified and raised from the dead. He says, don't you see? This is what you're doing. And everyone who stumbles over him, remember, blessed is he who does not stumble over me. He who stumbles over me, this stone will break. But on whomever it falls, it will scatter like the dust. And all of those words are found in Scripture, prophesied in Daniel, that the rock of salvation, the Messiah of God, 
would come like a great stone and destroy and crush those who stand in his way. Jesus said, don't stumble over me because if you stumble and fall, you will be destroyed. If the rock comes and crushes you, you will be destroyed and you'll be scattered like the dust to the wind. And then he said, and the scribes and the chief priests, his authorities resisted. And the tribes and the chief priests tried to lay hold of him. They tried to lay hands on him that very hour, and they feared the people, for they understood. They understood he spoke this parable about them. Can you imagine to have that type of clear understanding that he spoke that about us? That we are guilty of killing God's son. Rejecting God's messenger. Rejecting the only hope we'll ever have to be forgiven by God. Men and women, the question that I have is obvious. And that is, do you see Jesus as the ultimate authority in your life? Do you see him as being the only name under heaven, the only authority under heaven given to men by which men can be saved? Do you really believe he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes into the Father but through him? Or are you still deceived into believing it really doesn't matter what I believe as long as I'm sincere in whatever it is that I believe because all roads lead to heaven? And with the authority that is given to me by the word of God, and the authority that's given to me by God to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the outermost parts of the earth. I say to you that you are deceived. And if you do not repent and trust in Christ, you will go to hell for all of eternity. And that is a very sobering message for me. But it is one of great hope and warning to all of us. The warning is that that is the place where those who are scattered like dust will go. But for those of us who repent and trust in Jesus Christ and Him crucified and resurrected, to us He has given us the privilege to be called children of God to those who believe in His name. I don't want there ever to be any ambiguity in any message that I deliver from this pulpit. I want this to be as clear as possible and I want you to examine yourself. The Bible says... Examine yourself to see if you are really in the faith. God's Spirit will bear witness with your spirit that you're a child of God if you have truly come to faith in Him. And as we prepare our hearts this morning to remember what Jesus has done has done on the cross for those of us who have trusted in Him, I just ask that you would examine yourself to see if Jesus Christ and Him crucified and resurrected is really the ultimate authority in your life. Jesus said he has the authority to forgive sin. And he says, so you'll know the authority that I have to forgive sin. I say to this man, stand up and walk. So that you know the authority that I have to forgive sin. I say to this person, come back from the dead. So that you know that Jesus has the authority to forgive sin. God raised him from the dead. So that you know that he has the authority to give you and I the authority to share this message. He says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore into all the world. Go into all the world and, and, and teach 
those things that I have done and, and make disciples of all nations and baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So when you are challenged by what gives you the right, what gives you the authority to say what you just said, we can stand with great confidence and know I stand before you today because God, Jesus Christ, my Savior, has given me the authority to share this message of truth with you because He loves you and He desires that no one should perish but all come to everlasting life. Have you trusted in Christ and Him alone for the forgiveness of your sins? If so, then join us in remembering what Jesus has done. If not, this isn't for you. It's only for God's people who realize they've been bought with the precious blood of Christ. But if you want to resolve that, pray with me now. Father, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I'm not perfect. I know that I'm a sinner. And God, I, I, I ask you to forgive my sins. And God, forgive me for believing that it doesn't matter what I believe. Because just as everything else in life has certain protocol, every disease has, has a specific protocol for healing why should I be surprised that you have a specific plan for saving me from my sins and God I believe here and now that Jesus died on the cross for my sins I believe that he rose again from the dead and God to the best of my understanding I open my life right now and ask for forgiveness and I trust in Jesus and I invite him into my life as my Lord, as my Savior, as my Redeemer. God, help me to understand that this is true. Guide me and teach me in your truth and change my life and make me into the person that you want me to be. And God, I pray that I will have the boldness and courage to proclaim what you have done in my life as I see it and watch it and testify to it as the days and months and years, God willing, go by. Lord, I just thank you for your word and the truth of it, the reliability and the trustworthiness. I thank you for Jesus Christ and him crucified. I thank you that you have spoke through him as the final message of redemption to all of mankind. God, I pray that we never become convinced of our beliefs without looking into it or checking into it because we know that pride comes before the fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. And we see it in the life of the religious leaders who resisted your authority to their ultimate damnation. God, I pray that uh, all of us who have trusted in you will accept your authority in every area of our life. That if there's any sin in our life right now that we're harboring, anything that's there that's not pleasing to you, that you would expose it so that we can confess and agree and repent and turn from it. God, we thank you for this time that we have to celebrate and remember what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. His death, that we've been bought with the precious blood of Christ. His resurrection, that we are raised to the newness of life. God, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.